welcome to the Tech Suite, your go-to source for the latest legal updates on the fastest moving sector, brought to you by Mintrellis and Rudd Watts. I'm your host, Richard Wells, and together with Susie McMillan, who's here with me today, we lead our firm's privacy practice. And in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about top tips for managing a data breach. Data breaches are something that we see come up all the time. They're in the newspapers. We experience them in our private lives, um, as well as in our professional lives and advising clients around what to do when things go wrong. So our podcast today is aimed at giving you some top tips to consider when you're managing a data breach. Nothing that we're discussing today is legal advice. So if you need something specific, feel free to reach out to us, but we hope that these general guidelines at least frame up uh, the way that you need to be thinking about these issues. Suze, hi. Yeah, hi, thanks Richard. Yeah, it's it's hardly surprising that, you know, cyber attacks, data breaches are now sort of regular news. Um, but what is concerning is that these attacks, you know, are increasingly sophisticated and well-funded and sometimes even quite coordinated. So from a liability and reputational perspective, you know, organisations do need to be well prepared in this space. So today we'll give our listeners, you know, some of those key recommendations for managing data breaches. Um, So the first one, you know, Richard, is that these incidents often come out you know, out of the blue. Um, so the key question for organisations is, you know, what can they do ahead of time to be best prepared to manage a breach? I think it's about the three Ps, um, plan, plan and plan. You need to be well prepared to, to manage a breach. I can remember going into um, some meetings or being, actually, yeah, it's going into meetings where there's been a data breach and you're asked to advise, you go into the meeting room and you have your clients sitting there and they've got an ashen face and there's often um, a bit of a panicked look around the room. And the reason that that panic arises is, and it's fair enough, they're dealing with a highly stressful situation, their data has been compromised, there might have been a a privacy um, attack from an unknown source, but they don't know what to do first. And I think if you have a uh, a plan about who you need to talk to, what the steps you are that you need to take, and you've written that down and you've practiced it with your senior leadership team or with your privacy response team, then that's a that's a really good first step, I think, Suze. Yeah, I think that's right, Richard. And also, stepping back from that, you know, being prepared and understanding what data you hold. Because I think, you know, when a data breach occurs, one of the key questions that, you know, your forensic team will be looking at is what information is actually impacted. And a lot of organisations don't even have a clear outline of what information they hold or where it's held and what databases it's held. So... So doing that privacy by design, you know, work up front and understanding where your information sits and what security measures it's protected um, by, you know, will actually go a long way to help you direct those investigations and manage the breach at the outset. I think you mentioned one thing there that's quite important, this concept of security measures. One of the things that 
I see is organizations panicking if they they don't have maybe their data encrypted at rest and by what I mean by that is that the information if someone who is an unauthorized user gets into your database or has access to your system that they can't take that information outside of the organization in an unencrypted form um, that that is quite a key one for, for people to consider these days, uh, I think, and particularly for organisations who have uh, to put, you know, to build on what you're saying before about understanding your data. If you're in a really data-rich organisation, um, you know, healthcare, insurance, banking, um, media, etc., I think it's really important that you carefully consider what those settings are within your um, within your IT infrastructure to make sure that uh, security is given uh, paramount status. Yeah, doing those sort of regular security audits almost, you know, because obviously what security measures are appropriate five years ago are probably out of date now. You know, the the sophistication of hackers in that is, is rapidly evolving. Mm-hmm. So you also need as an organisation to be constantly checking your security measures and make sure that they are, you know, up to date um, to, to protect the information that you hold. The other thing, of course, is that security is only so good. The weakest link is usually the people. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, the Privacy Commissioner recently actually came out and said that in their, you know, past 12 months of looking at breaches that have been reported you know the biggest um, cause of a data breach is human error and so that can be you know sending the email to the wrong person or you know um, inadvertently giving away your admin access to a database those sorts of things so it's really important that you know staff are trained about how to protect information and it may seem like a bit of a compliance step but you know, it's really important to have those training and procedures in place so that staff um, are aware of what's expected of mm-hmm. them when they're dealing with personal information. But also, you know, just to have some like sensible sort of double check measures in place before you're sending out PDF copies of information, you know, get your buddy next to you to check to make sure you've got the right email address, those sorts of things. It's mm. so easily done and, and a lot of the breaches we see are caused by that. So mm. they can be mitigated, you know, like we, we hear in the media a lot about, you know, that the hackers, the malicious guys coming from Russia or wherever, but but actually the most basic data breaches occur within your own organisation. Mm. So there's a lot you can do to help protect that. Training is one of the things that, that you mentioned. I think we need to give a bit of a shout out to the Office of the Privacy Commissioner here in New Zealand for some of their online courses. So if, if people are listening and want to know where to maybe start to begin with, with some free, interesting and relevant materials, uh, have a look on the Office of the Privacy Commissioner's website. They have a Privacy 101, a Privacy ABC, uh, and there are some other quite tailored short form information sets that really are quite valuable as a good as a good point okay so moving through the incidents occurred you've got your plan so you know how to respond one of the things that we often get asked about is insurance so I might kick this off there's an insurance product out there that it shouldn't be 
thought of as a fail-safe, but there is a, a product known as cyber insurance. You probably um, have heard that that term bandied around. It is quite expensive, and it's mm-hmm. getting even more expensive. But what it does is uh, it gives you a little bit of comfort at the initial stages of any incident that you can have access to experts, particularly the forensic experts that Sue's mentioned before. Um, these are the people that are able to, to help you contain the incident. Um, when we're working through any form of breach, the first step that we need to do is contain, then we assess, then we respond. Um, so in that containment and assessment process, knowing that you have a suite of experts that you can draw on uh, and that they have, they're paid for by your insurance uh, is quite uh, comforting. But there are some catches. The first thing is that the people who are often on the cyber panel might not be known to your organisation. So get to know uh, who those potential advisors are is probably one of our top tips. So that when you're in the room, you know, sweating on what to do first, you actually know the person opposite you so that you can interact well with them and they also know your business. Um, but insurance, I think, is one of the key uh, elements that most sophisticated organisations should have in play. The cost for cyber insurance is going up, so that is a factor that most organisations will need to factor in, and it often doesn't pay out if there are found to be uh, problems within your your security systems or uh, within your IT infrastructure. So if there is a privacy breach, the fact that you have insurance um, gives you the comfort about how to respond, but if there is any potential liability for interference with privacy that might come out of that, it's very rare that that insurance will actually cover any damages or other costs that you have to pay out through the process. Even if you do have strong security measures in play, we know that events still happen. We talked about that before. Um, Are there any other things that we could talk about? We've talked about uh, training your staff, we've talked about cyber insurance, we've talked about increased security measures, and we've talked about planning. I think the planning point is probably the most important in terms of having that response plan in place because as you mentioned earlier you know knowing what to do when these events occur is your best source to make sure you're managing it efficiently and with the right people so you know the the data response plan is key I think it's one of the key policies that all organizations should have and it should be a detailed plan that takes you through that four-step process which you talked about so when a breach happens you have to contain it evaluate, notify and prevent. And so if you've acted immediately, you've contained it and then you're going through the investigation process, I guess the next point is that evaluation point, Mm. which, you know, with the introduction of the Privacy Act in 2020 and our new mandatory data breach reporting, this part has become even more crucial than bef- than it has been in the past and and that's because you have to you know look at the potential harm that could be caused to um, affected individuals as a result of the breach um, so I guess that's one point that you know has changed over time and I think 
fairly standard now that people have um, in their data response plans sort of a step-by-step guide to managing that that assessment. Well, shall we delve into how notification needs to take place? Like Sue said, we now have a mandatory uh, notification regime within our Privacy Act. That means that if you do suffer a privacy breach that meets um, a threshold where serious harm could be caused, you have to do two things. You first of all have to notify the Office of the Privacy Commissioner and you also have to notify affected individuals. But let's just back it back a bit because there's that assessment of of serious harm um, and there are a number of factors that, that play out there. The Act sets out, you know, the factors that you need to consider and I guess the first one when we're looking at maybe a, a cyber attack, for instance, is, you know, looking at who has the information. So if you've had a malicious actor come into your systems, you don't know who they are, you don't know where the data's gone, you don't know if they've, you know, exfiltrated it, copied it, you know, that's a major red flag and I think it would be very difficult um, you know, to, to set that aside from, from a risk perspective. Unless, as you said earlier, if your information is encrypted at rest, even a malicious hack, hacker getting into your systems may not be actually able to, to um, access the information. We often get the situation where our clients have got that, but it's a we're talking about a massive data set that mm. is compromised. Do you know what the Privacy Commission is saying about those sort of situations these days? Well, I think the bigger the data set, the bigger the risk, yeah. right? Um, so if you've got a huge database, you know, with you know potentially thousands of individuals affected, the likelihood of um, that being valuable to a hacker and being misused is probably more likely because they will be able to source you know, publicly available information about those individuals as well, put it together and use it for, you know, malicious purposes. So definitely that increases the risk profile. Um, and on the encryption point as well, I mean, you know, not all encryption is, you know, a hard wall. So hackers could still get in and, and decrypt that mm. information. So having security measures in place to protect the information does reduce your risk, but it doesn't mitigate it entirely. So I think that those are some key factors to consider. Another one to maybe have a bit of thought around is the type of information that that's involved. So, you know, when we're looking at a data set, we have on a on a matrix data at one end, so that's just pure information, all the way through to personal information on the other hand, which is um, information connected with a specific individual and within that personal information suite you have all sorts of stuff that can be relatively anodyne um, all the way through to things that can be incredibly sensitive so health information financial information etc if within the hack or the incident any of these sorts of um, information sets are identified to me it's raising the the chances of serious harm potentially arising, um, particularly yeah, with that health and financial information. Definitely, and I think the sensitivity is important. And, and as you say, anything when it becomes health or financial is a, a major red flag as well. So it's mm. going to um, steer you probably in the direction of requiring notification. Once you've just had that assessment and you've decided that, yes, you need to notify, then 
there is a little bit of time pressure in terms of notifying. So under the Privacy Act, you know, you have to notify as soon as reasonably practicable. So although the Act doesn't specify a time frame, the Privacy Commissioner has indicated in their guidance that they expect to be notified within 72 hours of you undertaking that assessment. So it doesn't give you a lot of time. Um, and importantly, that means that that plan needs to be workable and that you are going through that assessment process relatively quickly at, at the outset. Can we just play through an example? Because I think the timing's pretty important. People will be interested in that. So let's say I discover that I've got a privacy breach on the Monday, on a Monday, Monday morning, I get into the office, uh-oh, something's happened. The clock is ticking at that point, but I'm still working through the extent of things. Um, and it's taken me a little while to get my advice, to understand what the, the data sets are that, that are involved. Um, it's taken me a while to contain it. So maybe it takes me, let's say, by the time I'm in on um, Wednesday morning, I've got to a scenario where, okay, uh, I know that I'm dealing with a, um, a serious incident. So does the time for me to notify, it, is it on that Wednesday I have to notify or do I have a, a little bit of extra time up my sleeve from the point that I've identified I'm dealing with a, a serious incident? I would say you've got some regal room there. The, the key with the, the 72 hour time frame is that it kicks in once you have determined that a notifiable privacy breach has occurred. So See, I'd, I'd say that's the Wednesday, not yeah, the Monday. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. So you, on day one, you don't know what information has yeah. been affected. You don't know whether it's protected. You don't know who's accessed it. So at that point, you're actually not in a position to make that serious harm um, analysis. So you have to wait until you've got a certain degree of information in order to make that assessment. And then once you've made that assessment, then it's about gathering the relevant information required to go into that notification, which may may require a few days' work. You know, you need to get your forensic team involved because you have to notify about how many people are affected, what information's protected who's got the information, can you get it back, is it protected, all of those sorts of things. There's a lot to work through. Um, Importantly though, you can uh, notify the Privacy Commissioner kind of on an incremental basis, so um, I don't think people should stress about pulling together a full account of the breach um, at the outset. It's about making that initial preliminary notification and then you can update them as the information comes through. I've got a learning coming out of that and it's a hard one learning. Uh, When we have, Susie and I have been managing these with clients in the past, the key with your notifications is to get your comms right the first time round. If there is a lot more information that comes out at later points and you've got to have multiple cracks at notifying public or supplementing with with information time after time it means that you're potentially in news cycle after news cycle after news cycle so not only are you trying to respond to the to the data breach you potentially have the media on your back um, wanting updates or understanding why things have moved and evolved the last thing you want to do is go from a manageable incident with a couple of hundred people to then something that's 5,000 and then uh, oh hold on next week we're dealing with 50,000, that is problematic. 
Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, as you say, when you're notifying the affected individuals. And and the Privacy Act does allow for that kind of um, split notification in a way. So, you know, really focus on notifying the Privacy Commissioner first and then work on your comms to individuals. Because, as you say as well, like, if individuals are getting half a story, that can create fear and, you know, mistrust. And so actually making sure you can give individuals a clear picture is really important to try to mitigate some of that cause for concern that they might have about the breach so yeah i definitely take the time to make sure that those public facing comms are as complete as you can be to give reassurance to your the affected individuals that that you are managing this well but also importantly you have to front foot it so you know you don't want to be shady and try and hide from it. You do need a front footer. And, and putting a relatively senior member of your leadership team at the, at that front foot is, I think, probably really important to, to show the seriousness of it. On that reasonably senior person, there's some really good examples about or out there about uh, how to communicate in these sorts of crises. Um, Booper did an amazing job uh, a number of years ago, really front-footed, uh, quite a difficult, challenging scenario where uh, a disgruntled employee had taken off with a with a database. And in that, um, in the comm suite that they put together, it was in the UK. In the comm suite that they put together for that, uh, they really enhanced, I think, the trust that existed with them and their existing customer base. And I think in the in the difficulty of one of these situations, if you're able to reframe in your mind that you are trying to build the trust and enhance the relationship with your customer despite this horrible incident that's gone on, you can come out of it in a really good place. If you are not transparent, usually the outcomes aren't quite so good. So that's just our experience on that. So I think that's about all we've got time for, Suze. Uh, Thank you. To all our listeners, tune in for uh, our next podcast in and around this topic where we'll develop some more of these themes and maybe talk about the next phase, which is the, uh, the recovery and continuous improvement phase. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review or follow the Tech Suite wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe to receive technology updates to your inbox via our website at minterallison.co.nz.